Welcome everyone to the Lee Schools TV podcast. I'm Adam Wright. Very excited about our episode today. We are joined by Jim Kroll, the civics and U.S. history teacher at Mariner Middle School. That's correct. Jim, thanks for being here today. I'm excited to be here. You are our first teacher guest on the podcast. Wow. So that's... <laughs> um, that's bold. That's a big honor. Um, yeah, let's go with honor. Yes. So, uh, so certainly not a mistake. I'm sure had, we'll do more of these. We've had a bunch of administrators on so far, but we want to start having teachers on. Sure. So we have a ton of amazing teachers in the district. We want to have students on eventually. And so, yeah, thank you for being agreeing to be our first guest uh, oh, teacher. Be, this should be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, and we've you know, we've met before. We met at Collegium last a okay. uh, few few months ago, and I got to know you a little bit. And you have an interesting background, interesting story. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on as our first uh, guest teacher. Uh, by the way, former Golden Apple recipient winner. Yeah. And uh, so you're the you teach civics and U.S. history at Mariner Middle. I do. And you're also the IB coordinator. I am. Before we get to your experience at Mariner Middle and some cool things you're doing with your students, I want to talk about your background because it's an interesting story. You, <laughs> so you before you were a teacher. You you tried uh, you you lived in <laughs> you lived in Los Angeles. I did, yeah, and, uh, and you 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 tried your bit. Uh, you tried a, a little stint as a, a writer in near Hollywood. In yeah, Hollywood. I um, at, you know, I went to University in Ohio, and I was in an improv group uh, there. And I had an uncle who, at the time, was uh, was a writer uh, and successful. You know, got paid for it, which was amazing. And he, uh, you know, he had called my mom at some point or whatever, and said, "Look, you know." He could probably come out here and, and, and work, maybe sleep on couches for a little bit, but you know, he's probably employable and I think I can get him started at least. So, um, I decided to go out and give that a try, which was, I mean, it was really nice because my parents, you know, pushed and said, look, you know, you can, you can go to law school or you can do whatever else it is that you want to do later. But you know, there's only a finite amount of time where you can, you know, live on couches and, uh, yeah. and your and early twenties is the time to do That's that. Right. So you, you were, so this was after you graduated college. Yeah. Right after. So you were 22 or so. Uh, yeah, I think so. So yeah, you moved, moved out to, I liked, I liked high school more than the average. <laughs> so, you know, maybe 23. <laughs> so you, Oh yeah. We'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, Cause I read will. that you weren't the best student growing up, at least so, at an early age. Smidge. Um, so you were, you moved to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. Hollywood area, when you were 22, 23. Yep. What, what did you study in college? Uh, history and religion. Okay. So both of those things, you know, if you read history or religion, are hilarious. And yeah, it screams comedy writer. It does. So you moved to L.A. What was that? You wrote, I know you wrote for, you were writing promos for... I was, that's generous, but how long, I, you know, how long now, were you, so in, how I was, long were you there? I was there for, for a couple of years. Um, and the, the company that I worked for the, the entire time that I was there, aside from the first, you know, couple of weeks of, you know, just running and doing gopher work, I uh, was called idea asylum productions. Uh, there were four of us in the office, um, and they wrote the promos for politically incorrect with Bill Maher at the time when it was on ABC and SoapNet. That was, you know, one of Disney's channels and uh, some stuff for FX. You know, like their Sunday, you know, midday movies and things like that. Um, and that was, you know, and then a few of the little side projects. But so, what was that? What was this experience like working? Um, How many it was. It was. It was fantastic. I mean, it was. You know, so you you come into the office obviously, and you start, you know, at the bottom, and then for some of us, you stay at the bottom, you know, for the entire time. Um, but because I think it was only four of us, even though my primary functions, you know, were answering phone calls and 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 making coffee or you know whatever, filing, you know, 
tapes and video stock. Um, when there were big projects that were coming up, uh, the guy who, who owned it and had started it would just call the four of us into his office and, you know, throw legal pads at everybody and say, let's all just, you know, write as many funny things as you can and then we'll see what we want to use. So it was a, it was a really neat experience. It was a lot of fun. So I mean, wait, you, you studied history and religion. What, mm-hmm. what made you want to get into comedy writing? Um, I, I think it was, you thought um, you were funny. I did. Um, and, and so did my mom. And that's, I think, as everyone knows, is really a solid litmus test yep. for your talents is, mm-hmm. you know, you go to your mother cause they don't, uh, you know, they never mislead my you. My mom thinks I'm hilarious. So. Which, and you know, so that's been, that's been proven. So good <laughs> for you and good for her for Thank being you. a great judge of character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was, I joined an improv group, um, my freshman okay, year that, yeah. and, uh, and I think that's really what it was. And that was, you could try out as freshmen and, uh, it was a long standing improv group that had been around for a very long time. Uh, Steve Carell, uh, was in it, uh, long before I was there, you know, we're both about, I think equally funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that was it. That was four years of that. So what was your, what was your your goal did you have a goal setting out like you wanted to eventually get to a certain point i was hoping to be able to have my own apartment Um, (laughs) that was it that was that was that was the top one when i first yeah that was the height i don't know that i really had any goals which might you know be somewhat why you know i stayed in the spot that i did for a while um it was i think it was something i wanted to try to to see if i could do it or see if i enjoyed it just see where it took you yeah there was no um which i know is really different from most you know early 20s um, that everyone else uh, has a plan on what they're going to do. But I had, I had nothing. So how many, how many pieces that you wrote actually made it on air? Uh, so there were a few one-liners, um, that, uh, when the cameras are off, I'm happy to share those. Um, it was politically incorrect yeah. after all. Uh, and then there was, you know, it was really a collaborative experience, uh, for the most part, but there was one, you know, they helped work on in which, um, politically incorrect used to do a mafia week. It was when the you know, Sopranos were, you know, in, in, in fashion and at their high point. And so they would have a bunch of different, you know, guests on. And so I helped write, you know, a long spot for that where Bill Maher walks, you know, across, you know, stage basically in different, you know, accidents are just missing him. And they're all mirroring different, you know, gangster movies and stuff like that. So, so was this, <clears throat> did you, in, did you enjoy the, the experience? Was it oh, stressful? Uh, a lot of pressure? There, you know, there was some on uh, like occasion you had to, since they were promos, so you might have that show going on later that night. And so we're in Los Angeles, obviously there's a time difference in New York. So you'd have to hit a satellite at a certain time. So the people who were actually doing most of the writing and the editing felt an awful lot of pressure. And so by extension, I might've felt some of that on occasion. Uh, in hindsight, no, I don't think I really felt much in the way of that kind of pressure. Um, it was, it was really rewarding. Uh, and I, and I really enjoyed, you know, the fact that I got to, um, have a lot of fun while I worked. Um, and it was very creative, which was also really nice because you always, you know, the other people in the office were, you know, far funnier than I was, um, and, and brighter. And so, trying to keep up with them every day because as you can imagine you know you basically it's you know three other writers and you know and the coffee boy and so every there's not a single conversation that you're having with any of these people where you know someone's not trying to be funny Mm -hmm. and so when that's happening you feel like you're on your game the entire time Mm -hmm. um so it was it was a blast i had a great time you probably grew up being the funniest or one of the funniest people in the room at all times. And then you went, yeah, you went to LA like said, and you my were mom in this room always and... told me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden you weren't the funniest one anymore. No, not remotely. I mean, it was, it was humbling. Um, which I think has been the story of most of my adulthood. Um, it was, 
I really did think that I was, you know, absolutely hilarious. I would walk out to Los Angeles. It should take me an hour, hour and a half tops to knock out a screenplay. <laughs> um, figured my Oscar nod would be 26, 27 ish, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. if I was late blooming on that. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, getting out there and realizing that basically every person that you're meeting, um, Trying to, do the same the, thing. trying to do the same thing, coming out of the same place, and they're, you know, brilliant people. Yeah. Hilarious. So, well, did you ever get that apartment? I did, yeah. Oh, congratulations. With a roommate, so thank you. Okay, it was, right. well, uh, you, met, you, you met your goal. I did, in a very safe part of Los Angeles. That's good to hear. Okay, so you only were there for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. how, so what, how did you transition from being a comedy writer in, in Hollywood to all of a sudden, you know, coming into the teaching world? Um, well, so once I got the apartment, I think my next goal is to find some way to volunteer, give back into my community. Cause I, you know, I've lived a charmed existence and have had an awful lot that's, you know, that I've gotten. And so I wanted to give something back. And so I figured I would, you know, try to, you know, be a volunteer hockey coach. Um, and so after spending a while on the phone with one of the rinks and explaining, I didn't actually have any children that I wanted to trade coaching for not having to pay the coaching fee or the playing fee for, um, I volunteered as a hockey coach and I would, you know, a couple practices a week, you know, games on Saturdays, that kind of stuff. And I just found that that was, you know, teaching those kids, you know, either how to skate or, you know, how to, you know, put a power play together, whatever it was, was incredibly rewarding. And as much fun as I was having, you know, writing and all that kind of stuff, it seemed like the writing part felt more almost like a what could be a hobby for me versus, you know, the instruction part, which really felt more like the calling. So I started looking for teaching jobs. So is did you come, so you were teaching or you were volunteering as a hockey mm -hmm. coach. How, how old were the kids? Uh, the first group I had were, um, you know, like uh, first grade, kindergarten, first grade age, which was awesome because they were adorable. <laughs> and they all look at, you know, the equipment is significantly larger than they are. Um, and then after uh, that team for a little bit, uh, I got a high school team. Uh, so they were high school age, um, freshman to senior level. So you got you felt much more fulfilled being this volunteer hockey coach than you ever felt as a as a writer. Absolutely. So you started looking for teaching jobs. Mm -hmm. And how did that how did that bring you to Southwest Florida? Um, I got a, uh, a teaching job at a uh, boarding school in, in Western Massachusetts. Um, and then they wanted that board wanted to open a campus in Sarasota. Uh, and we came down with uh, with a group of students uh, to open that up. And <laughs> amazingly, uh, Charlie then came rolling through. And so the campus that we were waiting on to be built uh, got, you know, knocked back by Charlie. And then obviously that season, you know, was, was pretty bad for storms. And so with, you know, more storms coming through, uh, the board decided that eventually this was they weren't going to be able to afford, you know, the insurance and finding new property and all that kind of stuff. So we finished out the year in vacation villas and in an office building. And, uh, and then my wife and I, I think it was a teach near the beach hiring fair or something along those lines. Uh, we came down here and my wife got offered a job almost immediately. Um, and, uh, I got a lot of nice to meet you and, uh, very fast interviews. And fortunately, I think people were a little bit desperate. So, uh, over the summer I, I picked up something. <laughs> is your wife a teacher as well? Uh, she is. Well, now she's, uh, she's working, uh, in this building. Um, oh, cool. But, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so what year did you start? Did you teach at a different school in the district before you got no, to Mariner I have, Middle? I have only been at Mariner Middle. When did you start there? Um, so I think that would have been in 2005, maybe 2005, 2006 season. Okay. Yeah. And well, you mentioned boarding school was one of the first, the first teaching job you got. And I, know, was, yeah. I know you went, I did. You went to, you attended boarding school 
I as did. a young lad. <laughs> yeah. How, how does one so growing up going through a you know a prep school boarding school system? Sure. How do you how does that transition into you know being a public school teacher? Um, I think you, so you know, felt no allegiance to a boarding school type. I mean, your first job was with that, my but. first job was in boarding school. When I, you know, one of the things that I was considering doing when I was at university was, you know, I majored in religion and history because I figured if I was going to teach, I was going to teach, you know, in a boarding or private school. And so I didn't, you didn't need, you know, teaching certifications for those. So I didn't take any teaching classes um, because I assumed bizarrely that, you know, one could just learn the material and then jump in front of a bunch of children and say, let me show you amazing. Um, so I didn't exactly work out. Um, but I went into the boarding school first because that was what, you know, I'd considered. And again, you know, without a, a teaching certificate or any background with teaching classes, uh, you know, that was really the only door that was open. Um, transitioning over into public school, I think uh, one of the things that I learned, you know, in those boarding schools, both teaching and going there, was that the, the most important piece uh, was going to be the relationship that you had, you know, with those students, you know, and then with family members and, and other things like that. But the relationship really was key. And once once you could build that relationship out, you know, the material and the other things, those you can, that's, that's going to be the easy part. Um, and so the transition actually really wasn't, you know, there wasn't as much of a culture shock um, as one might think. In a, in a large part because, you know, I don't think that a kid going to a boarding school, you know, or a public school has any less of a desire to, you know, have someone that they can kind of attach to and, um, and really learn from and learn with. I read, um, old news press article about you when you won the golden apple, um, back in 2015 that it's, it says you were ironically a poor student when you attended public school. So mm -hmm. you, you, you went from, you went from public school to a boarding school did, growing yeah. up in Indiana. So what, and something you said you thought history was boring in public school, at least the school you went to in Indiana. I, well, I, yeah, I could make a lot of judgments about the classes that I took. Um, to be fair, though, I think I was asleep for most of them. So I don't know how valid those judgments are. Um, I think, you know, there were a lot of things. One was just academic maturity. You know, when, as I got older, you know, I became a little bit more mature. Um, and so that was part of the help with boarding school. The other part, I think, was you had a lot of smaller classes. You lived there with the teachers. So the relationships that you formed, you know, didn't happen over a 45-minute period or something. Mm -hmm. You know, the classes that I had in Indiana, it was a great public school. Um, and if I had taken advantage of it, you know, if I had, you know, behaved the way 99% of the other kids did, I think everything would have been fine. But I just wasn't interested. I didn't feel connected and uh, or grounded there. And so going to, to Tabor uh, really did that for me. And then the relationships that I formed, you know, with those teachers and then with peers and things, that that really made all the difference. Tabor Academy in Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. Mary Mass. So you, let's talk about your philosophy as a teacher. Sure. So I'm sure you've taken a lot of what you learned growing up, going through boarding school and, and tried to yeah, implement that in the, in your own classroom at Mariner think, Middle? Yeah, I think all the experiences, everything from that improv group and, you know, and boarding school and Los Angeles, all those things come into play. Um, philosophically, you know, I think, like I said, relationship is going to be key. Um, and then making, you know, the students understand how much power they actually have and how much agency they have in the world is incredibly important. Um, you know, and that it's okay to, you know, to make these mistakes and, and go through those processes and that, you know, the grades are not going to be the most important thing for them, you know, in those, you know, you want them to be successful at the end. You don't want them to fail by the end of something, but, but they need to understand that you can fall and get back up. Um, and that, and that life is not going to be, you know, a series of these, you know, benchmark tests. It's going to be, you know, process. Mm -hmm. And 
So I read that you, you you don't do icebreakers on like the first day of class um, at the beginning of a no. new year. I've, I've got got extensive notes. Wow, that's impressive. Right um, here. <laughs> that's uh, no, typically I don't. Because um, most teachers do. So yeah, why, do, I, why do you skip that part? So, I, and I suppose what I do probably just works as an icebreaker. Um, mm -hmm. But usually we get into talking, uh, you know, immediately about like context and why context matters for things, you know, or we get into concepts. And part of that has to do with, you know, we're, you know, an international baccalaureate school. And so a lot of that is concept based, you know, inquiry based type instruction. And I want them, you know, from the moment they come into the class to realize, you know, we can learn so many of these things through a lot of different lenses. I can learn who you are, you know, and, and what you're about and what your name is. And you can learn an awful lot about me while we're having an academic discussion. You know, there isn't a, you know, the 10 minutes of our class is going to be, you know, non-academic, you know, name game stuff or, or whatever it is. And, and this other part's going to be this. Um, not that the name game doesn't, you know, have value. Um, yeah. But you can you can go into, you know, what I think we'd all consider to be, you know, things of academic value um, and learn an awful lot about somebody when you have that conversation with them. And I know that part of your philosophy about t teaching history is, uh, as you mentioned, you know, context is sure. important. And but I've also read that... Um, you believe you know history is open to interpretation and you want your students to know that yeah. what, what, what do you mean by that um so like right now in in our class uh in our my u.s history class with my eighth graders um which you know i'm hoping they're having a lot of fun with this they seem to be but they might be lying to me which is you know good for them because <laughs> they should know to do that by now um you know we're looking at like the story of columbus for example, okay. you know, when you look at the, you know, you open up a, a standard textbook and you read through this, it paints, you know, a, a pretty clear picture that, you know, Columbus sails the ocean blue, 1492, pops over, finds some land, sees some people there, thinks, hey, look, you know, these guys are less advanced than we are. And those people approach him and without, you know, any hostility. And that's kind of where the textbook ends with that. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, so he discovers what will later become, you know, the West Indies and it's a gateway to America, mm -hmm. which is certainly one perspective. You know, and then if you look at, you know, Columbus's journal entries and you find that the next, you know, few lines of his journal, you know, have to do with how many men it would take to subjugate all of these people that they've just encountered, you know, and how many slaves he's going to bring back to Spain uh, and things like that. You know, so when you look at that, um, I want my students to be able to look at the perspective of the king and queen of Spain and Columbus's men and the Tainos, uh, you know, people, you know, who were there. I want them to be able to look at that and say, you know. The book might present something, you might see something in a documentary, or, or I might even be, you know, lecturing or, or discussing something. That's all coming from what I understand or what that particular group understands. And that's their perspective. As human beings, we don't have any other way to tell stories except through, you know, the lens that we choose at that moment. And so I want them to understand that somebody wrote that. Somebody wrote that book and they had a purpose behind writing that. And I want them to try to figure out what that purpose is and then decide, is there a better way that we could do this? Is there a way that it could lead to greater understanding, you know, so that we we know what our history might have been or somebody else, how they see that? Because, you know, if they're going to move forward and be successful in the world and they don't understand, you know, somebody else's point of view or where somebody else is coming from, that's not going to foster communication. And that's not going to foster the ability to, to problem solve, you know, whether it's, you know, politically, socially, whatever. If you can't understand where somebody else is coming from or how they see the world, then, you know, that's, that's me a rough road ahead. So do you encourage like open dialogue, discussion, debate? 
all the time within within your classroom among your students absolutely especially if they may have you know differing ideas i mean that's what i hope you know mm-hmm. i so a lot of the things that i do are, are are provocative by by design you know i don't want it to just be yay you guys all decided that columbus you know was a genocidal maniac so now we're all going to go in that same direction mm-hmm. because that doesn't really foster anything either you know i don't um you know, I don't need, you know, a room of students to sit back in it and agree with me. You know, that would be awfully easy. But the problem is, is if I can, if it's that easy for me to get a bunch of kids to agree, then it's going to be that easy for somebody else down the line. Um, and I'm not the last teacher that they're going to have, or the last authority figure that they're going to see. So I don't want them just to learn what my perspective is going to be. I want them to learn how to have that debate, you know, how to come up with their own ideas so that when somebody later in authority presents things to them, they understand how to question it. Mm-hmm. And so I, mean, I think that's a a huge responsibility, you know, for all of us as we're teaching. Do they ever challenge, do they, do the students ever challenge you and? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you enjoy that all the time. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's nice for them, you know, because I think everybody wants to have victories from time to time on top of which, you know, I'm a 42 year old man. Um, I, you know, having academic debates and and beating up on children, that's that's a little questionable. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily what, what you want in the room. Yeah. So yeah, there are plenty of times where they, where they bring stuff in that, that cause a moment of pause, you know, where you sit back and you're like, that's, yeah, I hadn't considered that, you know? And again, that's going to happen a lot because they're bringing a different perspective to the way that they see history or the way that they understand an event. You know, I don't know what their lives are, right? I don't know, you know, what it's been like for them, you know, for 10 or 12 years. I know what they've told me, but I don't know how much of the story that is. I don't know what their history is because it's, you know, perspective. So, they're going to approach that history differently than I do. And there's a lot I can learn from that. Do you see the students in your classroom? So you've been there since 05? I think so, yeah. So uh, about 13 years. Yeah. Um, over the course of that 13 years, well, from the beginning of a school year to the end, sure. do you see a change in the students, just kind of like their way of thinking based on your philosophy of looking at things I, from different perspectives. I see, I see a change in, in my students. I don't know if it's because of my philosophy. I mean, I've got, uh, I'm surrounded by, you know, fantastic teachers. So I imagine it's a lot of it from, from everybody else that's doing it uh, as well. You know, I'm not by any remote stretch the only teacher in my school that teaches, you know, in that kind of a pattern. Um, so they, they certainly change over the course of the year. Um, you see them becoming uh, a lot more open uh, and then, and they risk more. Uh, and they're willing to say, yeah, I might be wrong in this debate, but I'll get up in front of the class and I'll throw this down and I'll see what happens. And then I'll reconsider my own point of view. You know, in the beginning year, they really, like many of us are, are really kind of stuck, you know, that what I understand and what I know is the correct and only possible way forward. And as the year progresses, they become a lot more open-minded. But I think that's really, you know, school culture mm-hmm. as much as it is my class or anything else. Do you, what's your favorite part of U.S. history or uh time period of U.S. history to, to teach? Um, my favorite part of, um, I, th- I think, um, so we do our units uh, somewhat, you know, thematically. Um, so sometimes, you know, those, those time periods, you know, do some significant overlap. I enjoy, um, you know, last year we, we looked at westward expansion through the ideas of uh, disruption. So not as much of innovation, but how disruptive technology can be. Um, and that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. Um, I also like, you know, the run up, you know, to the Civil War um, as we and we kind of we run that way back. And then that becomes kind of a bridge for a, a social justice unit um, that we look at. And, you know, what are those 
what's that legacy that we have, you know, as a country through that? And those are, you know, but then if I keep going, I could, you know, hit each of the units that we do. They're all mm -hmm. just an awful lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And each year they change a little bit because they change based on which kids are in the class and what they bring to it. So now you teach you teach civics as well. Is that mm -hmm. is that a different class, different set of students, or is it yeah. all combined? So civics is seventh grade, um, okay. and U.S. history is eighth grade. Uh, civics really is government government and politics uh, and citizenship, and U.S. history for us is really you know pre-Columbian America through uh, the Civil War. So they are you know very different classes. Civics is an awful lot of fun as well. Um, you know, it reminds me of, you know, like being a history and religion major, which were great because you could just, you know, argue about, you know, most of what you wanted and you could always find stuff to back up your point. And so in civics, it's kind of the same thing. And the kids really can start to find their own voice and say, you know, this is what I believe and this is why. And you really get into that. Do you find there's a big, I never took a civics class until college. Um, <laughs> you're smiling. Yeah. Uh, so I was, you know, state and local politics and government sure. in, in at University of Florida. But our kids, do, do you find kids have a vested interest in, in learning? Are they excited to learn about civics and politics and local government? The first couple of days, uh, not so much. Yeah. Um, it's your job, but, too. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, and we've got, a, we've got a fantastic civics team uh, at Mariner, too. But and, and I think a lot of the kids come in with that. Uh, a lot of them come in with the what's civics and and fascinatingly enough most of the parents during open house come in with what's civics um yeah do you feel like there's kind of a it's it's understandable not enough people it, out there know enough know i, I more think about part, civics. i think part of it's the terminology they don't realize the word civics when okay. you say government and politics there most people are like oh, okay i get that or they took a government class when they were in school but they didn't call it civics yeah. or whatever so that's a little bit of it um and then i think you also have you know people think civics and immediately it's like okay this is going to be dry um or this is going to be a lot of memorizing terms or things like that but the kids you know begin to enjoy it really early on because it's really what civics is about you know even if you when you start to brush away all the let's you know learn you know the difference between federalists and anti-federalists and stuff like that really the the history of civics you know particularly in this country has been you know how do we give voice to more and more people over time until we can get to a place where everyone has a voice in what happens in our country and in our future and, and that idea that the root of that idea for a seventh grader, eighth grader, you know, even adults, I think is, you know, just fantastic. And, and they really, they grapple into that because they see what's wrong, you know, in their world or in the world in general, they think they see things that they want to change. And oftentimes, you know, as adults, we, we have a bad habit of saying, you know, that's great. I know you want to change that when you're 18, give it a shot, you know, or after college, you know, you can go ahead and fix that or, you know, go to law school, become doctor, whatever it is. It's, you know, not here, not now. Learn about it now, but uh, don't fix it because you're not ready. Um, but I think through civics, you know, if you, if you teach it right, um, which again, I think, you know, our school does is you're making those kids, those agents of change. So when they go out and they sit there and say, you know, uh, this is a, this is a problem that I notice on our campus and I want to figure out how I can solve that now. So what did I learn through my civics class or what did I learned through my science class, you know, or language arts class, how can I bring all these elements together and create a solution that's plausible, reasonable and, and actionable. And then uh, we have our kids do that. And so you, you kind of phenomenal. show them, show them the pathway of what yeah, they, so. what they can do, how they that's can right. use the system to make the world a better place. It's, it's lofty, but, uh, you know, it's a nice challenge to have. 
So you're making the world a better place one student at a time. Yeah, that's what my mom says. So, <laughs> you know, going going back to the person that believes me. So how do you? Um, I'm going to bring up an example in a minute, a video example. Sure. Um, but what are some other ways? You know, what are some? Can you give me some examples of interesting, unique uh, practices you bring into the classroom to make why, yes, civics or U.S. history um, so interesting and exciting? Last year. Um, one of the parts about being an, an IB school is that one of the things that we're required to do as part of our IB curriculum is do what are called interdisciplinary units, which is more than just saying, okay, in English, they're going to read this book and, you know, and then in social studies, you know, we'll discuss it and stuff like that. It's really, you know, meshing the, the two content areas together. And so last year, um, our seventh grade math team and seventh grade civics team uh, came together and built a unit on uh, drawing political boundaries and gerrymandering. Um, and so from, you know, the social studies side, civic side, you know, we're looking at all the different elections that are happening. We're reading those different kinds of articles from the math side. They're talking about everything from census counts to how you uh, draw a proportional district, how you make sure it's compact, what equations and formulas you use, all these different pieces. And then their final, their test, right? So most people think, you know, A, B, C, you know, short answer. Their test was to create a proposal for redrawing the Lee County School District board boundaries uh, for an election. Uh, and be able to justify them, you know, by population, mathematically, um, you know, considering uh, racial makeups of, of the different areas of, of Lee County, all the different things that are required by law when you are drawing boundaries. Uh, and, and so they did that. And so the, the projects that they produced uh, were phenomenal. Uh, in fact, we are taking, uh, we've been invited uh, to bring five students to sit on a panel at the Southwest Florida Geographic Information System Symposium uh, in November so the kids can present um, their work, their drawings, the process, how they did it, what software they used. I mean, it was, you know, that kind of thing I think is just phenomenal. I mean, that's a real issue that, you know, it's being talked about. It is in our news now. You know, the boundaries are going to need to get redrawn. And here we have a bunch of, you know, 12 and 13-year-olds who drew boundaries that are good enough you know, that you had GIS professionals say, yeah, you know what, these work. This works. Seventh graders. Is That's this, phenomenal. Is this the first year that you've done that project? La last year was the first or year. Last year. Yeah, sorry. last year was the first year, and, and we'll start, you know, we'll start that unit up again in, uh, in a couple of weeks, or a few weeks uh, again this year. Were you, were you surprised by how good they were? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to, you know, I don't want the students to look back and go, wow, you, uh, what do you mean you were surprised? You told us that we'd be fine. Um, you know, you, obviously, you know, when you teach these things, you have high hopes, but it's first year. So you don't know how many things you've done wrong. And, and there were lots of things, you know, that, that we did wrong. Uh, we had a, a lot of help. So we had um, Rich Calkins from the city of Fort Myers came in and gave the kids, you know, a full rundown of how GIS systems work and gerrymandering and that kind of stuff. We had the Lee County Supervisor of Elections came in, did a mock election with the ballots that the kids had created through political parties that they had created on their own and all this kind of different stuff. So we had a, a lot of those parts. So we, we felt pretty good about the unit as it was going through, like the kids were getting this stuff. We were stunned by some of the projects that the kids turned in. I mean, there were some things where we were looking at this and it was... There, there was nothing, you know, we, we could have and wanted to, you know, send some of these kids in front of the school board. I know that we sent some of the presentations, you know, uh, downtown to this building. Um, we didn't have to edit any of the kids' stuff that we were sending down. It was, it was done. I mean, they it's perfect. Couldn't, have, couldn't have done it better. Wow. Um, I was yeah, stunned, stunned. That's, that's was, great. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. I'm still pretty excited about it. <laughs> 
Um, you said they're going to be recognized. Um, they're going to sit uh, uh, November 1st, I believe it is, at uh, the GIS, uh, Southwest Florida GIS Symposium. Um, so they're going to be, they're actually just sitting on a panel. I think it's a 20, 30 minute panel. They'll be mic'd up and then there are going to be a bunch of professionals, adults who are going to, you know, pepper them with some questions after they, you know, present what they did. Scary. Yeah. I'm terrified for them. <laughs> Where is that? Um, I don't, it's, um, I, I want to say maybe the miracle stadium. No, yeah. I'm not sure. It's, it's uh, the twins training facility or something like that. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere well, nearby. Let us know afterward, you know, oh, sure. on the road. Maybe we want to be there. Yeah, no, you guys should cool. definitely come by. Um, so, okay. Anything else? Cool projects wise before we um, show this video clip. I mean, we can do, I, you know, we can do the video clip. I, I can, okay. there are lots of different projects. That we so do. this is something that a group of your students from four years ago, 2014, I think, put together oh, sure. a, a music video mm -hmm. called Boston Tea Party in the USA. Well, let's, let's show a quick clip. Sure. So that I watched that yesterday. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, I was uh, again another one of those things. I, I I think one of the things I find the most fulfilling about my job is the number of times the kids will do something and I'll sit back and think, man, that's incredible. Was that was that your idea? Was it their idea? What was the purpose? So the there was there, there are some videos that are that are really well done by a professional um, company that have to do with. Um, things like the Declaration of Independence or, um, you know, women's suffrage and things like that. And I know a lot of civics teachers in the county, you know, use those because they're, I mean, they're great videos, nice tools. Um, and we watched one uh, in that class and the kids thought it was really great um, and uh, because it is. And one of the kids said, we should do something like that. And so I offhandedly said, yeah, absolutely. Have at it. And they're like, okay, so we could do that. And I was like, well, we don't have time in here, which I think, you know, is one of the awful things about, you know, sometimes schools, you get limited in the amount of time you have to do that kind of stuff. I said, you know, we don't have the time or, or really the facility here to do it. But, you know, I'll tell you what, if you guys want to write something, if it's any good, um, I have, uh, we have some family friends who um, have a recording studio, uh, Vibe Recording uh, in, in Fort Myers. And... Um, Katie and Charlie, uh, who own the studio, Katie used to teach at Mariner Middle. And, and so that's how we know them. I said, so I don't know for sure, but I imagine that we could get some time in the recording studio. And so if I spoke for Charlie and put the hopes and dreams of all these children on his shoulder before, you know, before I informed him, but you know, they're, they're great people. And so he, you know, was like, absolutely. We can do that. We, we can do a whole Saturday. We'll do multiple days. We can do a video. We can do, and it was like, Whoa, okay. slow. I don't know if it's, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Um, and so I told the kids, look, if you want voluntary, you know, one of them wrote, you know, a song and it was amazing. Um, and she's one of the ones in the video. Um, so that it was written because the lyrics are very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Morgan wrote them from scratch. Um, they wrote the lyrics and we went down to the recording studio and it was any of the kids that wanted to show up. And we spent all day and all of them, you know, sang and, and Cameron, who was, you know, the lead singer. You know, none of that was, you know, auto-tuning or software. I mean... There's no auto-tune? Well, they have it, obviously, but she oh. didn't need that. Okay. Uh, some of the rest of us did a little <laughs> bit. But, um, yeah, the kids were like, no, Cameron can sing. And I was like, sure, of course. You know, everybody thinks they can sing. Um, and then we got there and Cameron started singing. And it was like, 
okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron can sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it was just great. And then I think a few weeks later, we went back and, and, uh, and the kids shot the video. They designed, wrote the whole thing, came up with the images. I mean, really, I just mostly sat there on a couch watching and then taking a lot of the credit for it later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it's on YouTube if anybody wants to yeah, check out that's great. The, uh, the whole video. Um, what's it like for you as a teacher to, to see, you know, kids take initiative like that and put together something pretty, pretty incredible? Um, I, you know, going back to what I think we were talking about, you know, really early on with going out in L.A., it's another one of those things that's really humbling. You know, because again, and I, you know, I don't mean to keep hitting it again and again, but I don't know that we give our students enough credit enough of the time. You know, those, when, when they did that, that they were in seventh grade, you know, the, the, the gerrymandering maps, you know, those are seventh graders. We have sixth graders who are putting together um, proposals in one of our sixth grade science classes on how they can reduce um, the use of plastics and non-recyclable materials in the cafeteria, well, along with full budget items. You know, they, you know, again, these are middle schoolers that are capable of doing this. And I know at least when I was, you know, a kid, and I imagine same, you know, goes for, for you and, every, and everybody else. Those aren't the opportunities that we were given. I mean, we were, it was basically learn all these things, you know, so that you can do something with it later. And I think if we are willing as educators and as adults to relinquish a little bit of the control of our rooms, which I know is a, is a big ask, um, you know, and hand some of that over to, you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds, 14 year olds and say, you know, see what you can do with this. You know, the results can be amazing. They can be terribly disappointing too, you know, and I think, (laughs) I only mentioned that because, you know, we tell our kids a lot, look, it's okay, fail, get back up, fail, get back up. But I think then we turn to our teachers and say, hey, look, it's got to be perfect every single time because Mm -hmm. there's a test at the end of the year and you can't afford to miss two days on a failure. And I think that's an important thing, too, that that we we need to get that message out, too. Let your kids uh, have some room, see what they can figure out. If it doesn't go well, okay, figure out why it didn't go well. Reflect on that change that up a little bit and, and try something different next year or next time. But, you know, be okay with, you know, failing in front of your students too. If that's what you're going to expect of them, then you should be willing to model that. How I fail daily. I was just going to ask. Yeah, how often all the time. You, yeah. All you, time. you don't get embarrassed? Um, in front of middle schoolers, typically not as much. I find that, um, you know, with my maturity level being at about, you know, 15, 16, you're you know, they're still, I still, yeah, I still have them by a year or two. Okay. Um, and they, you know, they really can, there's not much they can do when I embarrass myself. Um, so it, it works out in front of adults. Um, when I embarrass myself, it's, you know, because some people, if you're fi- yeah, if you're 15 adults are way they're super scary. Yeah. yeah. They make me nervous. Um, I think I get away with embarrassing myself a little bit more than others sometimes because people assume that I was joking and kind of meant to do something so I can play that off like this. Yeah. Are are you, I mean, are you known as like the, the the cool fun teacher? No, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I, you know, I think so. I hope, um, I think a lot of the students think the class is fun. Um, I know that the feedback that I get or that that comes back from parents or things like that is it's also an incredibly challenging and difficult class. Um, if that can be fun, then I'm excited. Those are the, about that. those are those are the best classes, the ones that that are fun. But yes, aren't, I think but my class is one of the best. You know, classes. they're challenging and difficult. Yeah, it's. Um, I I want it to be challenging. I want it to be difficult, obviously, because I think that's what we want for all of our students to set a really high bar, mm-hmm. and hopefully they can, you know, they get up to that. Um, and I want it to be enjoyable. Um, I think a lot of it is just you know telling a lot of you know the jokes and the and you know awful one-liners and things like that during class that makes it fun. And then, dad jokes and stuff. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's you know some. Uh, 
somebody you know was asking i think before this when i was mentioning i was going to do this and i was like yeah i think they want to talk about when i was in los angeles and like wow yeah why didn't you stay you know in comedy and it was like it's basically teachings you know basically the same thing um you know i get in stand up there i can tell the jokes biggest difference you know none of the kids can leave <laughs> so no seriously if i'm bombing they're stuck stuff at you. right they're stuck and you know you know it, i'm not going to get not invited back the next day you know <laughs> i don't have to worry about that i never tell anyone that the lights are on in the parking lot it's you know it's a pretty great gig and and you know later in the year they understand to laugh at everything that i say mm-hmm. so it's a pretty great audience mm-hmm. it's not that yeah. gig well you have leverage lots of it <laughs> Okay. So, uh, moving on from there, what I know you, so you're also the IB coordinator at Maryland mm-hmm. middle. What does, so I, I, I was in IB at Fort Myers high school, Nice. but I wasn't in IB until high school. So sure. I don't even know how IB works in a, in a middle school. And what do you, what is your role as coordinator? Um, mostly I think, you know, from the outside perspective is that I get to, you know, only teach every other day. So I have a lot more free time than everybody. Really? Yeah. It's nice. It's a great, great gig. You teach Monday, um, Wednesday, Fridays? Or? Um, it, we're on alternating blocks. So like this week, uh, Tuesday or Monday, we didn't have Monday, but Wednesday, Friday, and then next week, since we don't have Monday, this is a terrible example because we don't have any Mondays, but you know, it alternates every other day. Yeah, but that sounds um, nice. So what do you it, do, it what do, you so, do on your non-teaching days? Um, so for the middle school, so for the, the high schools have what's called the diploma program. Um, and those are, you know, by application only. So they're much smaller programs. In the middle school uh, IB world, it's whole school. So it's not, you only have, you know, a separate group of like high achieving kids who are purpose driven at the high school level. It's a college prep program, right? So you yeah. are only going to take, you know, a certain number of and just kids. real quick in case anybody doesn't know what IB is. Sure. International, International but- baccalaureate, you know, started, I want to say 50, 51 years, something like that uh, ago, um, by a bunch of diplomats basically thinking, you know, their kids were bouncing from school to school and they wanted to make sure there's some continuity. And then they also thought, look, if we can, you know, teach the value of communication, um, and, and the idea that, you know, you have a lot of different people with different perspectives from different places, that that's going to lead to greater peace and greater peace means less war. And, and that's the diplomat's job is basically to try to, you know, limit conflict. Um, so there are a couple, there are a couple, um, IB middle schools, um, in Lee County, uh, Lexington, uh, and us, and then I believe Okamic is going through the application process. Uh, and then there are a couple of elementary IB schools, uh, J. Cole in English and Heights. And so middle school, we're all over whole school. So there isn't an application process. If you're at Mariner Middle School, you are in our IB program. Um, so we approach it very differently than a high school will, right? Because we're not looking and saying, what can just these high achieving kids do? We want to make sure that our, our system is accessible to every kid. We want to raise that bar for every one of them. Um, so mostly what I do, it's a combination of things on, on what are referred to as my IB days, which are the days that I'm not teaching. Um, so today, for example, I met with a couple different groups of teachers on their planning period and helped design those units that might lead to assessments like that gerrymandering project or the science one that they're doing where, you know, they're redesigning, you know, how our cafeteria would work to make it more sustainable. Um, and we sit down and go through the different elements that they want uh, to incorporate and how they want to bring inquiry elements into that and reflection and, and, and bring those pieces in. Uh, then obviously there's some, you know, paperwork things, you know, for IB on occasion they'll need to do. And we want to make sure that, uh, we have something called the learner profile, which are basically 10 character traits, you know, being open-minded, being a communicator, knowledgeable risk taker and, and things like that. You know, are we making sure that that message is getting out to all of our students, you know, and, and our community, our parents, you know, our, do our kids know how to communicate with each other? You know, how do we teach that? You know, how do you make sure that they know how to express themselves? So 
helping to design all those kinds of stuff and liaise between, you know, the IB and the school. I guess that's most of what I do. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I think about five years or so. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful opportunity because I think it's made me a better teacher. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of growth I think that's happened because it's made me look at how I teach and how I approach things in a, in a really different way. You know, how can I, how can I make this really authentic for the kids? You know, when, when a kid, one of the nice things about IB is that we have to teach to these different types of contexts, you know, so, which is basically the why. So when the kid sits there and goes, why do I need to know this? Which I know that most teachers have never heard a student say, why do I need to know this? But occasionally I would have a student say, why is this important? Um, and through that IB stuff, we could say, well, you know, because I want you to understand how, uh, how to live a, a life that is full of, you know, well-being and health, or I want you to understand inequality, or I want you to understand whatever it is that, that's the context for that. And it's, uh, I think it makes it really powerful. Do you ever have to deal with any jealousy from other teachers? And there might be some watching or listening to this. That no, might, never. No, guy no, 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 has to work none every of other my day. colleagues would ever, ever be. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think so. I think, um, only because I think, uh, they see some of the paperwork requirements and the yeah. other things. So it's not so much there's, there are jokes uh, or, and certainly I live a relatively charmed existence. Um, and there are occasional jokes. Um, some of my colleagues like to sit there and go, are you working today or is it your day off? Um, which, you know, I always appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know how many, I think there are a few that would love to trade spots. Um, yeah. which well, I think I'm would be a great sure, opportunity for I'm them sure too. You, I mean, yeah, you're busy on your days off <laughs> That's right, so. and you're making a difference. At your school, I'm sure. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, really, it's mostly because, you know, I have so many colleagues who are, you know, so invested in it as well. So, you know, again, even today, and I think that's one of the nice things that I can keep just saying. My, You know, I have examples from today, um, you know, sitting in there after I met with some of the teachers who were required to meet with me at that particular time. That happens about once a quarter during, you know, our common planning periods. Mm -hmm. You know, some others just came in like, you, you know, you're busy right now, you know, and it's like, not really. And so they come in like, I wanted to, you know, they're like, we wanted to incorporate this and, you know, and bring this particular skill in and we weren't sure. And so we can sit down and have that 15, 20 minute, you know, conversation. And I, I really enjoy being that resource. And I really appreciate how much some of them are, you know, they're putting a lot more into it, you know, so the, one of the things that, you know, IB, I think is a huge payoff for us because I think our kids are able to achieve more. I think it's more real world. I think the things that they do are more transformative. Um, and that doesn't happen without those teachers having to put in extra work. It is not that we traded, you know, one program kind of for another. This, this is the IB stuff at the middle school level. And I'm sure that, you know, the teachers would back me up and the teachers, the other IB schools would, would back this up is it, it requires more work. Um, and so those teachers are working in time that they don't necessarily have in their school day or during their planning period to put those things together. And they're doing it because they believe it's going to make those kids educational experiences better. And that's, that should be lauded. So do a lot, do a lot of the students at Mariner Middle go on to go to Cape Coral High School because of we, the, the IB program there? We have some. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a lot uh, yet. We're hope you know, each year we're trying to, you know, our numbers. Sure a lot go to Mariner High. A lot go to Mariner High, yeah. a lot go to Island Coast. I think one of the things we find in our zone is that still where you live um, mm. dictates an awful lot of which programs you're going to go to. Okay. Um, but we do have, you know, a, a reasonable number. And since we've had our IB program, that number has, you know, continued to increase. Um, and at least, you know, some of the feedback in years past that I've gotten is that, you know, our students, um, seem to come in, you know, very prepared for that IB program. So if they've gone through ours, that idea of having these really authentic, rigorous, you know, things that are grounded in critical thinking and, and not, you know, necessarily, you know, some memorization and things like that, that they, they're able to hit the ground running. 
do they take big IB exams at the end of the year or anything like for that? For us, no. no. Yeah. No. The the big well those were kind those of were stressful. Of, yeah, yours for the diploma program are, yeah. are are significantly more stressful. There's one exam ish thing for us, and that's called our eighth grade community project. And so that's about a, you know, a nine month long, um, self-created, sustained community service project that all of our eighth graders are required to do. And it's basically take everything that you've learned at Mariner and every one of your different subject areas, every skill, every learner profile trait, and now figure out how you can go out and go change the world. And then they create this project from scratch. They identify a need. They come up with a plan on how they're going to go and address that need. They go and do that. And then they reflect on that. And then they present that to a panel. You know, last year of teachers, um, current CAPE IB seniors were there uh, and some juniors, uh, some community members. Mm-hmm. And then they go through a scoring and reflective process, which again, 13, 14 year olds. And some of those projects are just, I mean, staggering, mm-hmm. uh, amazing what they pull off. So real quick, anything else, any other exciting programs or services at Mariner middle that. Sure. How much want? time do we have? Another hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's do it. Um, Here's your time to brag about your school, your students. Um, So we, yeah, we've got, I mean, again, those community projects are amazing. Um, So some of the things that they might learn, like we have, you know, some students who try to, you know, start a new garden or we've got some kids this year who are trying to create, you know, small little like herb gardens that they'll be able to hand out, you know, or maybe even give those to some of the um, uh, community pantries, the food pantries and stuff like that. And they're learning a lot of those skills because we have a, a really robust horticulture program. Um, where we've got garden beds all over the campus. And the, the neat thing about the horticulture program is that the same class is tied to a culinary class. So the kids will go through the process of growing the food, and then they will harvest it and use that to cook and, and make their own food with the stuff that they've grown. So that full process. The idea, again, being that these kids can take that home. And even if they're not going to have room for a huge garden bed, you know, they could have you know, some windowsill stuff. They could design their own garden because... You know, different from maybe other horticulture programs where it's like, here, let's plant this stuff, let's do these things, right? Because they're doing this IB design cycle, right? The kids are designing their own soil that they're going to use. They figure out what's going to make good soil medium. You know, what's going to, what type of irrigation am I going to use? How can I design an irrigation system for this? Doing all of those pieces. So by the time they leave us, it's not, you know, I still need to go and buy a gardening book or go to Home Depot and get these particular trades. They know what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And then they can either put that to use in service of their communities, which some of them do, you know, or just even for, for what they do at home. Um, we've got a neat robotics program, you know, some coding, um, we have, you know, we have all of our kids are, you know, our students there because IB is so um, invested in kids being able to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to get all of our students through uh, Spanish classes every year that they're there, all three years, and they can earn high school credit for that um, after seventh and eighth grade. It's important. Very. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, a lot of those neat little things. You know, okay. People should come out and visit. Yeah. Um, so you, you were a Golden Apple recipient in 2015. I was. What did that mean to you? Um, that was a, that was a really interesting experience. I mean, it was I'm incredibly you know grateful, and, and it was again, it was just really humbling because I think you know you sit back and you hope that you're you know a good teacher and that you're making some kind of a difference. It's nice to have other people come in and confirm that, um, but you also you know you're sitting there and you and you know so, so the way the golden apple works obviously is your kids nominate you and then you get. Um, there's an application and then if you choose to fill that out, you know, then that gets whittled down over the couple hundred or whatever to turn the application and down to, you know, like 30, 31 finalists. I think it was 31 my year. I think I was the extra, um, it's pity. And 
You have so many of those teachers that are nominated. I mean, I, 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 so many of my colleagues nominated every single year they teach and they don't fill out the application, which I can understand because you're basically, you know, you're putting yourself out there. That's a risky thing to do to sit there and fill that out, put it out and, and have then somebody judge you. That's not a fun experience. Yeah. Um, and people are humble and yeah, they are. And it's, you know, writing a, writing an application that says, this is why I am so amazing is, is difficult. Yeah. Um, hopefully it's difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and so you know, I'm surrounded by golden apple quality teachers surrounded. It's not one or two. I mean, you know, buildings full of them. So what and makes you better than that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's the power of my beard. Um, <laughs> I, I, that I filled out the application that particular year, uh, the, that, because I, I, you had chose, you had decided not to fill it out a couple of years before yeah, right? cause I had been nominated before. And I, I, I had been nominated before because again, I think you tell some jokes, particularly in middle school, which is super easy because the threshold for being funny is wicked low with them. That's why I can't teach high school because I'm pretty sure they would just stare at me and, and I'd have to leave mm -hmm. in shame. Um, so, and I think, you know, when you do that kind of funny stuff, you know, you get kids who are like, ah, he's hilarious. He should be a golden apple teacher. It's like, wow, I don't know that that's the criteria, but <laughs> you know, thank you, Timmy. Um, so I've been nominated before and that group of students who did the video, Cameron was not going to be there in eighth grade. She was moving up to Orlando. Um, and so then in seventh grade, um, when the uh, finalists, I think, were announced, they said, oh, Mr. Kroll, you didn't make it. That's OK. We still think you're great. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't apply. And I did teach them how to use, you know, guilt and manipulation because that's the only way I get students to do work. So I probably should have seen it coming. But they just like, what do you mean you didn't apply? You know, and Cameron said, hold on. I was like, well, it's a long application, which it isn't. But, you know, it's a long application because I, I didn't want to, I don't think at that point, be that vulnerable with him and say, I don't know that I want to talk about myself in that way. Um, and then Cameron I literally stood up in class and said, this is my last year with you. And I've had you for two years. And this has been so meaningful. And I wanted you to win that so I could celebrate that with you before I left. And you're telling me that you couldn't find the time to fill that application out after all you ask us to do for you. Yeah, it was So put your big boy pants home. on and fill out that. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, it's hard for me to, you know, get speechless. But, you know, that did it. And then, of course, all the others now seeing the opportunity of weakness, you know, start chiming in. And I was, I'm so sorry. I will, <laughs> you know, if, if I'm nominated next year, I, I promise I'll, I'll fill the application out. Uh, I felt uh, so small and just terrible. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so the next year, and then of course they were like, so do, do the nominations count? I explained the process to them and I was like, they said, do the nominations, you know, or do those count as part of like, and I said, no, once you get nominated, that's it. So then a whole bunch of them started writing rather amusing nomination forms of, you know, I really appreciate that Mr. Kroll has taught me what failure will be like and that crying myself to sleep at night is acceptable. And it's <laughs> like, wow, really? You're sending that in? They're like, mm-hmm. So I was like, thanks guys. Um, but yeah, so the next year I applied, and you know, apparently, uh, so they Cameron, weren't reading. So Cameron really wasn't closely. here to celebrate your victory. She wasn't. Your win. I still feel pretty guilty you about that. Jerk. I know. I feel terrible about it. <laughs> I do. I mean, it was. Yeah, that was. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel bad. I'll no, it's okay. Now. It's. Uh, well, now you're in this prestigious. Yeah. Group of. Of wonderful teachers that recognize for their yeah i think that was probably the most rewarding part of mm. uh, of receiving it uh was the teachers i got to meet through it mm. um who you know the 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 people that i you know received it with that year in 2015 you know greg ballon and keith white and carrie descano and adam alloy and you know and christine uh we're still um incredibly close and that's that's been 
you know, those have been rewarding personal and professional relationships. So for that, I'm incredibly and eternally well, happy grateful. happy for you. Thanks. I'm sure that means a lot. It does. No, it does. So do you have a sailboat? Uh, I, I do. You do? Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. No, I still do have a sailboat. If anyone is interested, I can make a fantastic deal. Um, if you can, uh, if you can, I think you'll need to replace the, the tires on the trailer. If you can get it out of the side yard, um, you can get a sailboat. Wow. So you don't, so, okay. It's been a while. It came out of nowhere, but I, you know, I saw that sailing is a hobby of yours. I I learned how to sail in boarding school because, you know, of course I did. Of course. Right. And and learned how to play lacrosse and they didn't have polo, but you know, I suppose. That's probably where the bow tie comes from too, right? Uh, Yeah. 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 All kinds of, you know, pretentious things. (laughs) Um, So, no, I learned how to sail there, which was amazing. I grew up in Indiana, so um, we had some reservoirs, but... uh, yeah. I learned how to sail. Not did you have well, to go to a Great Lake or something? To... You probably would have. I mean, I don't know that I've ever sailed in Indiana. Oh, really? Um, yeah, but I learned how to. I learned how to sail um, out at Tabor, and it was amazing. It was so much fun, and I hadn't thought of it in these terms. But since we were talking, you know, so much about you know kids having agency and, and that being important, I think you know. So you didn't have cars in boarding school and that kind of stuff, and and. The fact that in boarding school, obviously, you're living with all of these other people. So there's not necessarily a lot of separation time. So for them to sit there and say, hey, you're learning how to sail. Here's a sailboat. Here's Sipican Harbor. It's rather large. Please come back. You know, there'll be a coach somewhere, you know, in this, this a area. It's different time back then, too. I suppose. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they probably still do it the wow. same. You know, where it's, you know, they see you. Um, okay. It's not that cavalier. But... But it, when you're, you know, 16, 15, 16, 17 years old and someone basically gives you the keys to the boat and you're taking, these are small sailboats, you know, 16, 17 feet, 14 feet, and, and you can go out, you know, and have that degree of freedom and again, make those mistakes, you know, fail, which again, all the time, um, you know, the boat gets, you know, stuck in irons, doesn't go anywhere. They didn't tow you in. So it didn't matter how frustrating it was getting. At some point, you needed to get back to shore because the sun was going to go down. So sailing was a, a really, you know, wonderful way, you know, to teach that kind of, you know, fall down, get back up type of a mindset. And and I think that was one of the reasons why I really just kind of fell in love with it. So you don't really sail anymore, though? It's just kind of sitting it's, in your yard? Uh, yeah, it's sitting in my yard. I haven't, I haven't sailed in a, in, a, in a few years. I think um, when my daughters were born, that, that mm-hmm. slowed that down a little sure. bit. And then... Um, and then the fact that I don't know that the boat will move much, and then that, that's probably slowed it down okay. a little bit. So you, have, I, you have two daughters? Two daughters. Are they, are they in school? In the school They are. They're system? at Edis- Edison Park Elementary. Cool. Um, yeah, I love it there. It's nice. Phenomenal school. Great. Phenomenal school. Um, and just wonderful teachers, great admin. Yeah, we're, we're tremendously happy there. Um, and now that they're getting closer to the age of being able to sail, I think we'll probably... Oh. I don't know, maybe take it back up again. Not with that boat. It has too many things yeah. growing through it. Though I'm sure it will be fine for anybody that wishes, you know, to yeah. purchase it for a reasonable your phone cost. number on the bottom of the screen Yeah, can, here you, can you guys do that? Can you drop them? Um, can you put that in? I'm yeah. sure that will work Might out well. Might be some kind of rules or laws against <laughs> you don't, that. You don't, I don't know you don't how it say. works. But, um, okay, well, Jim, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Um, no, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, yeah. I think I covered everything. Well, okay. All right. Well, glad to have you here. It was my pleasure. I hope I didn't ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see if there's an episode seven after this. That's rough. I'll make sure my mom watches as many times (laughs) as possible so that the views click up. All the views are from Jim's mom. That's okay. Okay. All right. She follows me on, I think, my only Google Plus follower. It's it's kind of depressing. No. No, it's nice. No, it's a little bit. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I'll get on Google Plus just so hey, you have two. That. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, man. All right. Jim Kroll, Mariner Middle Civics and U.S. History teacher. Thanks for joining us, sir. Thank and you. Thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next time.